Ecclesiastes chapter 9 beginning in verse 13. This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and few men within it, and there came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor." Here in chapter 9, Solomon is encouraging and instructing us in the pursuit of godly wisdom. Now he tells us something about, some things about godly wisdom. Godly wisdom trusts God even when we don't know what to do. We just take God at his word. Godly wisdom trusts the leadership of God when we don't understand what's going on. Godly wisdom is the wisdom of obedience and submission to God. It says, regardless of what I think, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to follow His leadership. And again, godly wisdom says, as the song does, just trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, even when we don't understand what's going on in the world or going on in our own lives. But... Just because godly wisdom is presented does not mean that godly wisdom will always be accepted. Amen. Remember what we studied from last week? Solomon said, you know, it's the fastest that should win the race. It's the most fierce or the strongest that should win the battle. It's the wisest that should be successful, but we know that doesn't always happen because he said in verse 11 that Time and chance or incidents happen to them all. The fastest may get an injury so he can't run. Something may happen to the strongest and the most fierce so that he can't fight. And wisdom may not always be accepted. And if we will understand that, you know, I think that's something that we need to get today as God's people. If we will understand that, it can bring us comfort. Sometimes when we try to share our godly wisdom, and what is the greatest wisdom, by the way, that we have as God's people? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we try to share our godly wisdom, it may not be followed, but it's not necessarily our fault. And so Solomon says in verse 13, hey, I understood this, and this was big to me. This was important to me. You know, this thing about godly wisdom not always being accepted is something that every preacher has to learn. And I'll tell you what will happen if preachers don't learn it. We will get discouraged and we will get depressed. We will be down. You know, I was so naive since you mentioned it 45 years ago. I was so naive when I started preaching. Here's how naive I was. I thought all I have to do is just get up and preach the word of God and people will respond to it. Guess what? That doesn't always happen. You can get up and you can preach your heart out many times knowing that there are people 
that need to make response to the word of God and they don't do it. And if you don't understand that one fact that wisdom is not always accepted, it will drive you bananas, I guess is the word we'd use. If you've ever tried to share the gospel with someone, if you've ever tried to witness to someone, you understand that wisdom is not always accepted. Wisdom is not always heard. And so that will bring or should bring some comfort to us as God's people that when we go out and we try to even invite people to church or tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, we may not be accepted and our wisdom may not be followed. Think of what God said to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm just going to share verses 8 through 12 with you for a moment. Now remember, that's that great verse where Isaiah had this heavenly vision and he said, woe is me, I've seen the Lord and, and all of these things. And God says, who will I send and who will go? And Isaiah said, send me. And here's what God said to him. He said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. And then in verse 11, he says, Lord, how long? And God answered him, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate and the Lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. You know God, Isaiah said, Lord, how long do I have to preach to these people? How long do I have to share this message? God said, now listen, preach to them. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to hear. They're not going to understand. But you preach to them and Isaiah says, how long? And God basically says, until I tell you it's enough. Just keep preaching the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 10. Here's what that verse says. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold their ears uncircumcised that they cannot hearken. Behold the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach and have no delight in it. Jeremiah says I preach to people and they won't listen. They won't hear the word of God. And in fact, he became so discouraged. If you look at chapter 20 and verses 8 and 9, he said, here's what happened. He said, I just decided I'll quit. I'm not going to speak in God's name ever again. I'm not going to preach his word ever again. No more. I'm done with it. He said, but his word was like a fire burning in my bones. And he said, I couldn't shut up. I couldn't be quiet. I had to preach the word of God. And by the way, if God's ever called a man to preach, he's got to preach the word of God. He won't be happy doing anything else but preaching the word of God. Then Ezekiel, I like Ezekiel. If you remember Ezekiel, as somebody said of him one time, he was sort of a showman preacher, you know. He used a lot of what we'd call visual effects in his preaching. And so in Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of a strange speech or in a hard language, but whose words thou canst not understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. God said, go and preach, but they're not going to listen. Your wisdom is not going to be heard. And then in verses 30 through 33, what basically he says is this, that people are coming to listen to you, but they're not coming to hear you, Ezekiel. They're coming to see a show. They're coming to see what you'll do next. 
as you try to deliver this message from God. They just want a good performance. Now, make a note of this. Rejection does not mean that we are wrong or that what we are sharing is bad, folks, when we share Jesus or when we share godly wisdom. Rejection of godly wisdom is a reflection on the person that's hearing it. It says something about them. It doesn't say anything about us or about the wisdom we try to share. Godly wisdom is good. Don't be surprised if godly wisdom is ignored. And in these verses, we're going to see three ways that godly wisdom is ignored. And the first one is this. Godly wisdom is oftentimes not honored. Oftentimes it's not honored. And don't be surprised when that happens. So Solomon shares this story. There was this little city. Didn't have many men. Didn't have a great defense. It was just a small town. Probably had walls around it like many of the cities did, but that's about all it had. And there's no reason to suppose that he's making up a story. For all we can tell, this is a true story. It may or may not be recorded in the Bible, but Solomon's telling this story about this city. And a great king came against this city, and he besieged it. The bulwarks are siege towers that the king built. You know, in that day, the best way to take a city, you didn't necessarily have to go battle it. Just put up a siege around it. Don't let anybody in. Don't let anybody out. Pretty soon they're going to run out of water and they're going to run out of food. And they'll either starve to death, die of thirst, or they'll come out and surrender. So, hey, that's all you have to do. But in this city there was a poor man, but he was a wise man. And we are not told what he did. We're not told how he affected it. But somehow, this poor wise man, whether it was some kind of peace treaty, some kind of a deal, some kind of a defense that he set up against this king. We don't know what it was, but in some way, this poor wise man saved that city. Now, that left little doubt as to this man's wisdom, didn't it? If this man knew enough to save the city from this great king, he was a pretty wise man, and his wisdom should have been honored, and his wisdom should have been sought out at future times. But what does he say in verse 15? He says, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Here was a man of wisdom. Here was a man that had saved the city. He should have been honored. His wisdom should have been sought out, but he received no recognition. He received no honor. He received no future opportunities. In fact, the scripture says they never listened to him again. He saved the city. <laughs> well, we're, that's good. We're not going to listen to you anymore. But that word remember talks about mention. They didn't even mention his name. I can imagine they didn't. You know, when they were telling the tale later on, say, well, you remember back there when we were besieged and you remember old so-and-so that through his wisdom. They didn't even do that. They did not remember the man. He was not important by their standards and so he was ultimately disregarded. You know what that tells us? And we see it. Our world puts more stock in the opinions of celebrities puts more stock in the opinions of sports stars. Listen, if you can throw a football, shoot a basketball, hit a baseball, you got something you can tell me that I want to hear. But now if you're a Baptist preacher, I don't care about hearing that. Our world puts more stock in the superstars and in the celebrities than it does in the Word of God. Not because they're wiser. You know why? Because they're more successful in the world's eyes. And how does the world view success? 
Well, the world views success by popularity. And so they would rather have this so-called success over true wisdom. Now, in verse 16, Solomon says this. He says, wisdom is strength. You want to be strong, and I'm glad we have young people here. You want to be strong and get some wisdom. But why was this poor man's wisdom despised? The only thing that we can assume from the Word of God as we read and we study the Word of God is, first of all, he was despised and he was not listened to because he was poor. That's it. Because he lived in an area where wisdom was not as important as riches. That describes, the, see how contemporary this book of Ecclesiastes is? This is the attitude that we face today. We know that true wisdom, as I said a moment ago, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. True soul-saving wisdom. But if we had lived in that city where that poor man lived, we would not have been hurt either. Because we are not rich and successful and of celebrity status. You see, today people don't evaluate the message. They evaluate the status of the person giving the message. Amen. I had something happen to me several years ago. And I'll be honest with you, it upset me. It made me a little bit angry at a woman. But she was telling me about a particular place where this preacher was going to be, and he was going to be preaching on the end times, and I was pastoring a smaller church at that time. This man was going to be at this particular church, he's going to be preaching on the end times, and she said, oh, I know he probably knows what he's talking about because he pastors a big church. By the way, that was a preacher's wife that said that to me. And this preacher didn't exactly get happy about that. Just because I pastor a small church, just because I don't preach to a lot of people every week, I'm not as smart as him. I don't know the Bible as well as him. I don't know. He may have known it better than I did. He may have known more about the end times than I did. But you see, she judged what he knew versus what I knew based on his status. I'm not jealous. I don't even know who the man was. But that's how our world judges things today and bases their opinions. They follow the people who have what they want. Are they educated? Are they wealthy? Are they successful? In John chapter 9, Jesus, and John chapter 9 gives us the account of Jesus healing the blind man. Man is blind from birth. And I'm always amused at the ridiculous question his disciples asked. Said, Lord, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And you think about that question. How could he sin before he was born, Right. But anyway, this man was born blind and Jesus healed him. And the blind man in, in verses 30 through 33 tells the Pharisees about Jesus. And what he says is, Jesus is from God. You need to listen to him. He was able to heal me. You need to hear this man. Listen to what the Pharisees told him in verse 34. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Cast him out of the temple. Cast him out of the synagogue. Whatever. You know what they saw? They saw, because this was the only way a blind person could make any living in that day was just to beg. So they saw a poor, blind beggar who didn't know anything. And when he witnessed to them of Jesus, they thought, why should we listen to him? He doesn't know anything. He can't tell us anything that is any value to us if you just go over to the fourth chapter of Acts. And you think about the disciples before the Sanhedrin. They're in the fourth chapter of Acts in verse 13. What did the Sanhedrin say about them? It says they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. 
They were despised because they didn't have an education. What were the ones, Peter and the others that were before the Sanhedrin? They were fishermen. And that's all they saw. And they said, they can't know anything. We won't listen to them. By the way, it did note that they had to take notice that they had been with Jesus, you know. And they had obviously learned from Jesus. John chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. They said the same thing about Jesus. Listen to what they said. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus, how can you know anything? You hadn't been to our schools. You hadn't been to our seminaries. You haven't learned. And here was the one who wrote the book, okay? And so they viewed him that way. That's why the Apostle Paul told Timothy what he did in 1 Timothy 4.12. Timothy was a young preacher. And Paul basically told him, look, you've got already a mark against you because of your youth. He said, you live in such a way as not to let anybody despise your youth and you be an example of the believers in conversation and charity and spirit and faith in purity. They're going to be looking at you, but they're going to be looking for something else. And you give them an example of what a child of God ought to be. The point is, in this world, our wisdom will be rejected, not because we are wrong. If you're preaching the truth, if you're teaching the truth, if you're witnessing the truth, if you're telling people the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll not be rejected because you're wrong, but because we live in a culture today that does not value wisdom, folks. I saw something the other day that I thought was so good I shared it on Facebook. It said, intelligent people today are being told to shut up so they don't offend ignorant people. Amen. You try to tell the truth. You try to teach somebody the truth. And they'll say, I don't want to hear that. Don't get discouraged if people won't listen to you. Just understand they don't value true wisdom. Godly wisdom is ineffective because it's not honored. But it's also ineffective when it's not heard. Look at verse 17. Here's a contrast. Here's somebody who is behind the scenes. They're speaking quietly to only a few, but they're heard. Or here is a ruler who is shouting to the masses from the rooftops and nobody will hear him. Nobody is listening to him. And Solomon says it's better to be quiet and to be heard by a few than to speak to the masses and have nobody listening to you. Listen, I will admit a large congregation appeals to the flesh. I would love to preach to hundreds. I wouldn't mind preaching to thousands. I might get a little more nervous if I did. But I would like to preach to a large congregation. But you know what the difference is? I can look in your faces while I'm preaching. By the way, I do read people when I'm preaching. You know, if someone's doing that, I know they don't agree with me. If they're doing that, I know they do. If they're doing that, I know I've lost them, you know. So. But you may preach to a huge congregation and have maybe about half of them listening to you. And so just because it appeals to the flesh, it doesn't mean that more people are hearing what you have to say. Ezekiel learned this. Remember, God told him. And, and let's read those verses in chapter 33, verses 30 through 33. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses and speak one to another, one to his brother saying, come I pray you and hear what is the word that cometh from the Lord. And so people are gathering together and saying, you're going to go here, you're going to go to church, hear that crazy preacher today? Well, I don't know. 
he sure had much to look at. And he, you know, he is a little bit entertaining, you know, but other than that, I'm not sure whether we really ought to go see him. And they come unto thee as the people cometh. And they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they'll not do them for them. With their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Listen, Ezekiel, they're going to come and sit down and they're going to listen. But once they go out the doors, they're not going to do the very thing that you shared with them from the word of God. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. Don't you like to listen to nice music? Especially somebody who has a beautiful voice. And just sit there and take it in and listen to it. Well, that's what God told Ezekiel the crowds were doing. They're coming just like listening to a concert. Beautiful sound, beautiful voicing. Ah, that's nice. Well, what was the song about? Well, I don't know, but it was pretty. By the way, be careful about the words we sing. And I'm thankful we have a song director who is careful about the words that we sing. I'm very thankful for that. And then he says in verse 33, when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. The things that God said were going to come to pass. And ultimately the people were going to know that Ezekiel had preached the truth. Listen, we get out and we start witnessing to people and they reject Christ and they die and open their eyes in hell. They're going to know we were telling them the truth. I rejected the truth and here I am separated from God. See, God told Ezekiel the crowds weren't listening to them. It was all just good entertainment to them. It was the new monkey syndrome. And when I thought about that, I thought, your monkey's getting awful old, folks. Monkey, thank you. Monkey's been here for a while. People are not going to come out to see the new monkey anymore because the new monkey's not the new monkey. And they're not going to come out for the entertainment aspect of it anymore. That's what's happening in a lot of worship services in churches today. People see these mega churches and I told the Sunday school class about one, and I'm not going to mention it from the pulpit, but I told the Sunday school class about one that's being exposed in, uh, on television this next week or whenever it is. But they say, let's go to church. It's good entertainment. It's like going to a G-rated movie. We don't have to worry about what the kids hear. We don't have to worry about what is said. And by the way, admission's a lot cheaper than going to the movies. And that's about all that church is to some people today. You can take the wife and the kids and just don't worry. That's what God told Ezekiel was going on with him. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, don't give that which is holy to dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine. You do realize that a dog has no appreciation for a very fine cut of meat, don't you? I mean, if you don't, just go grill you up or cook you up a T-bone steak. And throw it to your dog when it's done. And watch him gobble that thing down in just a few minutes, right? Because he'll go after it. He doesn't sit around and say, boy, this is really good stuff. This is really prepared well. This really tastes good. And, and I really enjoy eating this. And I'm just going to take my time. No, a dog will just gobble it down. He doesn't appreciate a good piece of meat. And a pig, take grandma's pearls and put them on a pig. What's that pig going to do? By the way, you can take a pig, clean it up, wash it up, put a bow around its neck and grandma's pearls on its neck and let go of it. Where's it going? Right back to the mud. Right back to the sty. 
A pig has absolutely no appreciation for that which is expensive. It wouldn't know what to do with a pearl necklace. And the picture is trying to share the word of God with some people who don't appreciate it. You know, I've been in places where I would go visit with someone and the person I was going with kept wanting to go back over and over and over and over. And it was obvious these people were not going to come to church. They enjoyed us coming to visit. But they were not going to come to church. They were just decided that. Well, you can't throw pearls before swine and you can't give that which is holy to dogs. Remember what Jesus told the 70 when he sent them out in Matthew chapter 10? He said, go out, preach the word, deliver the message. Don't assume everyone's going to love it. This might be the proper place to ask for prayer for my podcast site. It really needs it. Don't have many folks that go on and listen to it. In fact, just lost a subscriber this last week, I guess, because they didn't show up. There's one that's been from the state of Virginia, been showing up every week, every week, every week, and all of a sudden, I guess I said something in one message that offended them, and they didn't want to listen to it anymore. I don't know. But people don't want to hear the truth. People don't want to listen to the truth. And Jesus said, go preach. Don't assume everyone's going to appreciate what you're saying. That's not saying anything bad about the message. That's just saying some people won't listen. People will come to church sometimes and not listen. Listen, Jesus was wisdom incarnate. If ever wisdom has walked on this earth, it walked in Jesus Christ. And yet his wisdom and his message... Not me sharing his message, not you sharing his message, but his wisdom and his message are rejected by many. He told the multitudes at one point. He said, you're not following me because you believe I am the son of God. He said, you just want another free filet of fish sandwich. That's what you want, right? Some people just won't hear. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to turn over there because I love these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the first five verses of that chapter, the Apostle Paul is talking about his appearance at Corinth and how he came to them. And I love this description. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Listen to this. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, that's my message. He wasn't concerned about eloquence. He wasn't concerned about charisma. He wasn't concerned about charm. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. What a tremble when we handle the word of God. Whether we're teaching it in a class or whether we're preaching it from the pulpit, it ought to cause us to tremble because we're handling the word of God, dealing with men's souls and women's souls and boys' souls and girls' souls that are going to live into eternity in heaven or hell. I was with you in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And folks, that's what I want. I want to preach in Holy Spirit power every time I stand up here. I can't put on a good enough show to keep you entertained, okay? We have to preach in Holy Spirit power. All, that's all that mattered to the Apostle Paul. And you know what? Some wouldn't hear that either. Godly wisdom is of great value when it's honored. Godly wisdom is of great value when it's heard. But sometimes godly wisdom is not heeded either. You look at 
verse 18, and then look over to chapter 10, verse 1. He says this, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Sometimes people don't care and won't give you a chance because you're not educated, because you're not rich, because you're not a celebrity, because you're not important or because you're poor. Sometimes you'll share your wisdom and people just won't hear it. Anybody that's raised a teenager knows that. I thought I'd get an amen with that one. And then some, there are some who will hear, but they won't follow what they hear. They like to, oh, preacher, I like to listen to a good sermon. Ever heard anybody say that? Preacher, I enjoy a good sermon. Well, you're doing what it said, you know. That's the issue. And verse 18 actually gives us two proverbs in one. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, and it is. And one sinner destroyeth much good. In other words, this, you can have the best battle plan there is, but if your soldiers don't follow it, you're not going to win the war. Put it in sports vernacular, you can have the best game plan for a football game that you ever had. But all it takes is one or two players not following the game plan to destroy. Years ago, I loved baseball. I grew up playing baseball. I always thought I was too little to play football, too short to play basketball, so I loved baseball. And when our children were little, I always wanted to coach either a girls softball team or a boys baseball team. Every year I'd sign them up, I'd say, yes, I'll coach. Never got called on to coach. But they called on me to coach little girls basketball. Now, what I know about basketball will fit, you know, in a thimble. And I would take these little girls out to the gym and we'd have practice. And I'd know what team we were playing. And I'd say, okay, you do this and you do this and you do this. Have, just drill them on it. Game day comes and they're like, you just turn loose a bunch of cats, you know, just everywhere, you know, running all over the place, not following the game plan. See, you can have the best plan, but if people don't listen to the plan and don't put the plan into practice, it's not going to be any good. Joshua chapter 7, remember when Israel lost at Ai? Little old military outpost outside of Bethel. They had defeated Jericho, the walled city of Jericho, and God had put a ban on Jericho. God had said, don't take anything. If it'll burn, burn it. If it's alive, kill it, and the rest of it you bring to me. You don't take anything for yourself. And there was one person, one man by the name of Achan. You remember him. And what did he take? This is the most ridiculous thing. It's been for a long time in my mind. He took a Babylonian garment. Where are you going to wear that? And nobody knows that you took it. And he took some gold and he took a wedge of silver and he hid them in his tent. And they go up against Ai and they're defeated. And Joshua's on his face before God, and first of all, he's falsely accusing God, you brought us out here just to destroy us. We should have stayed on the other side of Jordan. And God says to him, I love this, God says to him, get up. I don't think he said it quite that way, but that's the way I like to say it. Because I've been there like Joshua, and God said, get up. The problem is that there's sin in the camp. The problem is that somebody didn't follow the message. You had a good plan, Joshua. But Achan's sin caused God's anger to burn against Israel and they lost that battle of Ai and 36 men who didn't sin like Achan did lost their lives. How many disobedient church members are needed to stop God's blessings? Amen. One. That's all it takes. 
just one. And God may say, okay, I'm not going to bless you anymore. Over in the second chapter of the book of Revelation, verses 14 and 15, the church at Pergamos had some in the church who had the wrong doctrine. They taught it, they practiced it, they lived it. And the Lord said to that church, repent or else. He didn't say it directly to those people who had the wrong doctrine. He said it to the church. Repent or else. Well, what is the else? He said this, I will come unto thee, talking about the church, quickly and will fight against them. You know what God's saying? He's saying, you get it straightened out, church. I'll bring the battle right to you. I'll battle them through you. I'll fight them through you. We have a responsibility in one of the Lord's churches to keep ourselves pure before God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, your glorying is not good. They were puffed up. They had somebody in the church who was committing sin publicly and they were so proud of themselves. Look how loving we are. We're not doing anything about it. And God used Paul to tell them, that's not good. And he said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump and the whole body is going to be affected if something's not done. So we get to Ecclesiastes 10 verse 1. Here's the result of the proverb that one sinner destroyeth much good. Simply put, it is a power of things to defile. One fly in the ointment of the apothecary would do what? Would pollute it and would cause it to send forth a stinking savor. Now how would you like to get some real expensive oil and there's a dead fly in it and it stinks. It doesn't smell like it's supposed to smell because there's a dead fly in it. I looked for this picture. I couldn't find it. I took a picture of it. I was going to include it in the PowerPoint this morning. Years ago, I went to a particular fast food restaurant. I will not name it. I won't say where it was. I had my lunch. I love to eat ice after I get through drinking my Dr. Pepper or tea or whatever it is. And so I took the lid off the cup and I've been drinking this tea or whatever I was drinking. I took the lid off the cup and there's a dead fly in the ice. That ruined my meal, folks. It just takes one. <laughs> there wasn't a bunch of flies. Just one fly. So doth a little folly in him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. One sinner destroyeth much good. Consider this in relation to the Old Testament. Let's say you're ceremonially clean in the Old Testament days. And you come in contact with somebody that is ceremonially unclean. Do you make them clean by coming into contact with them? No, you become unclean. There's an old saying, one bad apple don't spoil the whole bunch. I got news for you. If it's left in there long enough, it will. One sinner destroyeth much good. Some people are not interested in hearing or in heeding godly wisdom. And it's not our fault and it's not wisdom's fault. Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed and we're aware of it. The sower goes out to sow. He sows his seed. Some of it falls on the roadway or the footpath or whatever you want to call it. Some of it falls on stony ground. Some falls in the weeds and some falls on good ground. Only one-fourth of the seed that was sown did any good. I have sort of accepted that for my preaching over the years. Maybe a fourth of the people are listening Maybe a fourth of them. Maybe it's getting to at least 25%. But the seed, 100% of the seed was sown. It was all the same seed. The sower was the same man. What was the difference? It was the soil. That that was on the footpath got walked on, trampled down. The birds came and ate it. and That's like Satan taking it away. 
that was on stony ground, couldn't get any depth of root, and so it started to grow, but then the sun came out and it died. And then that was among the weeds, started to grow up, started to produce. But the cares Jesus had of this life and all of that took over and choked it out. And only one-fourth of that seed fell on good ground and produced anything. Too often when both foolishness and wisdom are presented, foolishness wins out. And that's because of the fallen nature of this world in which we live. Folks, it's not our fault. It's not wisdom's fault. It's not God's fault. It's just that we're trying to share the Word of God with people who do not honor, do not hear, and do not heed the Word of God. And oh, how our nation needs the Word of God today. When wisdom is not appreciated. Let me ask you this in closing. Is godly wisdom valuable? Amen. It sure is. Look at what verse 16 says. It's better than strength. Verse 17 says, in quietness, it's better than shouting. Verse 18 says, it's better than weapons of war. Godly wisdom is valuable. And again, the gospel is the message of wisdom, and people reject it because men love foolishness more than they love wisdom. They love their sin more than they love this wisdom, this godly wisdom. Sometimes they reject us because we aren't suitable messengers. And by that, I mean in their side. We are not the most educated in the world sometimes. I have a good education, and I think most everybody here does. But by the world standard, it's not good enough. I don't have a degree from Harvard or Yale or somewhere like that. Not sure I'd want one, but I don't have one for somewhere like that. I didn't attend the most popular seminary in the world when I went to seminary. And so people are going to judge your wisdom by that. They see no honor in our message because we're clay pots, and they don't listen to clay pots. But Jesus said we're clay pots. God's Word says we are. And some just aren't interested in hearing godly wisdom like dogs with stakes and pigs with pearls. They just don't know what to do with it when they hear it, and so they won't hear it. But take comfort, child of God. Take comfort, Sunday school teacher. Take comfort, preacher, okay? And here's why. The seed's good. It's not wrong to sow the seed. Just keep on sowing the seed. I'm going to close with this verse. And it's over in chapter 11 and verse 1. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Don't be the one who fails to honor, who fails to hear, who fails to heed God's wisdom. It didn't work for Adam. It didn't work for Achan. And folks, it won't work for me or for you or for anybody who refuses to hear the wisdom of God. Amen. Oh, we have such wisdom to share with the world. Are you being arrogant, preacher? No, I'm not being arrogant. I know what the Word of God says. And it is the wisdom, and Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God unto salvation. And we have that. We have that in our hands. We have that in our hearts. And we have the opportunity to share it. And I think what keeps us from sharing it, and I'm speaking from experience, okay? Not just not some ideology here. This is experience. What keeps us from sharing it many times is the fear of rejection. But what if I say to someone this and this and this, and they say, I don't want to be your friend anymore. I don't want to hear it, whatever. They might say, what am I going to do? What does godly wisdom do? It trusts God. 
even when we don't know and even when we don't understand. 